three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 357. Welcome in. Uh, really, what we're going to do today is talk about quarterbacks, like the entire time. Uh, Carson Wentz, college quarterbacks with NFL potential. We have a couple lists. We'll do that list. We'll do the list of young quarterbacks in the NFL who I think have a kind of a, a make it or break it year that need to prove themselves. We'll do a very healthy Ask Zach segment at the end. Uh, I got a big cup today. It's too big, I think. If I put it in front of me, if you're if you're listening, I apologize. If you're on YouTube, it feels too big for the space in front of me, so I got to put it off to the side. It's like the size of a massive big gulp. I, I thought it was a good idea. My fiance was not as excited, and I, I think she might have been right, as she usually is. Uh, by the way, today, uh, if you pray, pray for me. I'm not much of a, a praying person myself, uh, although I might be today. I'm climbing Mount St. Helens, the massive mountain in uh, Washington. Uh, it is an active volcano. I, it will not erupt. That's not going to happen. However, my, my loving fiance sent me a video of a crevasse uh, yesterday where it's this thing on mountains, apparently, where there's just a hole like 100 feet deep you can fall into. And I'm like, oh, great. I'm so excited to know that exists. And maybe I'll die down one of those. So uh, again, think of me as you're listening to this episode. I am literally, you know, going to schedule to come out later. I'm going to be literally on a mountain while you're hearing this and think of me and hope I don't die. Uh, I want to jump in today. We'll start with the news. There are there are six news stories I want to talk about today. Uh, number one, the news that fired me up the most uh, this past week, and I'm really, really interested to see how this does in fact play out. Quarterback TJ Finley has transferred from LSU to Auburn, and I went, huh, interesting. He was a freshman last year at LSU, played in five games. Uh, LSU had a crowded quarterback room. And uh, TJ Finley was a guy with a lot of talent who didn't want to be locked up in a quarterback battle against two other. A three-way quarterback battle is hard to d- deal with, uh, especially if you're not the favorite. So he left. He's going to Auburn. And uh, by the way, he's got a ton of talent. When you watch TJ Finley throw the football, oh, baby, it comes out of his hand. Really, it's beautiful. Actually, this is a, a big jump. Uh, there's a lot of NFL potential with TJ Finley. I look at him and go, huh. The ease reminds me of Aaron Rodgers. Don't tell anybody I said that. But I go like, huh, like, you know what? I, I could see this guy becoming an NFL quarterback with enough time and development and years to grow and enough starts. Now, it is really, really interesting. And by the way, he's a guy who can move around a lot, too, and extend plays. And I, I, I TJ Finley is like, huh, really good talent. Now, I was surprised he went to Auburn. That felt weird to me because they already have an established starting quarterback, Bo Nix. I was like, hmm. You know, Bo Nix has been the Auburn starting quarterback for two years now, and uh, he's done some good stuff. However, he also has at times left room for more to be desired. So there's there's definitely a quarterback battle incoming at the University of Auburn. And uh, for example, there's a reason why TJ Finley chose to go to Auburn. I don't know what the coaching staff told him, but they told him something that made him feel like, huh, you know what? This is the place I want to go play football. So he clearly believes he has an opportunity and a chance to play based on something I would assume he was told in some kind of recruiting pitch. And and by the way, I, I really, really love the messaging that TJ Finley has put out to the world ever since his announcement that he's going to Auburn came out. 
is he's been very, very respectful and also clear that he is going to fight hard and compete and try to get on the field and try to beat out the established quarterback there. Bo Nix is like, hey, bring it on. I want a competition. And it's going to be really fun, an established quarterback, a guy who, I mean, from the outside looking in, I don't follow Auburn that closely, but I thought hey, I thought Bo Nix, leader of that football team, been there a while. He's the established guy. And so to, to see Bo Nix compete with a younger, I think more talented player with more upside is very, very interesting and exciting. Now, I will say the real loser in all of this has got to be LSU. Uh, they're losing a really talented quarterback, probably their most just naturally gifted quarterback was TJ Finley. He's from Louisiana. And uh, I I don't understand why LSU did not appear to want to build around TJ Finley. You know, they have uh, Max Johnson and Miles Brennan. People think Miles Brennan is going to start, but maybe Max Johnson. And I look at both of them and go like, they're neither as talented as TJ Finley. And if you're a bad football team, that's not going to win a lot anyway. Why don't you build around the young guy who's got more potential and you can have more years with? Like, Ty should not go to the senior. Ty should go to the guy who's younger, who you have more time to grow and develop and work with. Um, so I think that, from again, I think it's confusing stuff going on at LSU. I, I'm like, I don't understand why TJ Finley wasn't embraced more. But Auburn's only going to get better. I mean, Auburn, the quarterback position in competition, the quarterback competition is only going to help the University of Auburn football team get better, where either it's going to push their current starting quarterback, Bo Nix, to get even better and grow as a player and become, you know, what Auburn really needs at quarterback, or TJ Finley is going to become the man and take them hopefully a step forward as a football program. So it's a win-win for Auburn. I'm really excited. I think it's maybe the most interesting quarterback battle in college football right now is you know, TJ Finley versus Bo Nix. And TJ Finley is not afraid. I, I love that attitude to be totally fine and comfortable to say, I'm, I'm going in, I'm going to fight hard, I'm going to try to take your job, may the best man win. And a healthy competition is good for everybody, especially uh, a team like Auburn, who I think could use better quarterback play. Now, news item number two, uh, another story that I went, oh man, I love, love it. Phillip Rivers is coaching high school football, the former Chargers quarterback, the former Indianapolis Colts quarterback. Uh, Apparently, he was hired a long time ago. I just totally missed it. Uh, So, you know, he's now the head football coach at St. Michael Catholic School in Fairhope, Alabama. He made his coaching debut in a spring game. There is video that surfaced of him on the sideline. I'm telling you guys, it made me so happy to see Philip Rivers coaching high school football. Just like, oh, yes. Because he's a guy who played 17 years in the NFL and was kind of forced into retirement, maybe. I mean, the game was done with Philip Rivers, but I don't think Philip Rivers was done with the game. If anybody had wanted him, I think he would have come back and played another year or two. Like, he, he was happy to keep playing. I think the game just was like, you know what? We're ready to move on. The Colts were like, we want to get Carson Wentz. We want to do something different. And so it just made me so happy because Philip Rivers obviously, like, very, very clearly loves football. All it takes is watching Philip Rivers play football for five minutes and you go, oh, yeah, that dude is passionate about football. Now, it's also interesting because the dude made millions and millions of dollars in the NFL. 
So Philip Rivers doesn't need to work ever again. He's he's set for life. And that's and I got to throw this joke in there. Even if all of his 900 kids go to college and he has to pay for it, he's still going to be set for life. So um Philip Rivers is not there for the money. He's coaching football because he loves it and he loves the game and wants to be involved. And uh I got to say when he retired early in the offseason, I I was just disappointed and sad because I felt like not just the NFL, but the world of football, the game, lost one of its best competitors, a dude who's fiery, who loves it, who's passionate. And uh, to see Philip Rivers involved in football in any way, coaching, is it's awesome. I'm like, yes, okay, he's a head football coach. He's still involved. And uh, if I, it made me so happy. Like, you, if you love football, you love football. You don't care about the money. You don't care about this or that. You just love what the, you know, the game can bring you. And I, uh, seeing Philip Rivers kind of doing something involved with football made me very very happy. News story number three. It involves Tom Brady. And it starts with an Instagram post. I'm not going to read the Instagram post. Uh, Tom Brady grabbed attention by posting four slides on Instagram. I, and I, I want to ask, are they slides? Are they pictures? I, whatever they're called. You know, you, you, you see a picture. It's not an Instagram story. It's, you slide, you know, the thing over. Go find the post. I'm I'm irritated. <laughs> I'm not going to break down the whole post. I'll do a little bit of the highlight. Uh, he announced the matchup for this year's version of the match, which is a personality star-driven golf event. Uh, I've never watched it, but I've heard a lot about it in the past, and it has. I've been flirting with the idea, like it could be interesting. And so this year, the two teams in the match are Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson against Aaron Rodgers and. Bryson DeChambeau, and uh, I hope I'm saying that name right. I'm not a golf fan. I, so first of all, uh, the caption on Brady's post said, two champions against a scientist and a Jeopardy host. Now, I have, again, I don't know who Bryson DeChambeau is. I don't know why he's called the scientist. I, I mean, I would assume Aaron Rodgers as a Jeopardy host, given his past with Jeopardy. Uh, so I don't follow golf, and I, I'm not afraid to say that. I don't understand what's happening. Uh, but Brady did follow that up by posting memes roasting Aaron Rodgers. In fact, he made fun of the fact that the Packers kicked a field goal uh, down seven points in the end of a close game. It, it, it just, I, I thought it was fun having Tom Brady poke fun at Rodgers, trash talking a little bit. And I love that. I mean, honestly, I think that golf could use that if they leaned into the drama and this trash talking a little bit more, kind of like the UFC or any kind of, you know, combat sport does where, they're like, let personalities be loud and boisterous and create drama. I think that's actually kind of good. Uh, I like personality, and I actually think I might even watch the match. I'm like, okay, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Phil Mickelson, some guy, the scientist I've never heard of. No offense, I just don't follow golf. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to expect. I think it'll be fun. It's It started with a meme, some trash talk. Uh, I know golf is a gentleman's game, but I, I think if you can... In, inject some trash talking, some memes, some, some fun into golf like that. You're going to bring in new people like me. My, my best, you know, one of my best friends, Nathan, uh, loves golf. I don't get it, but Hey, I'll watch something entertaining with personalities. And so I'll watch that. I'm going to watch the match and we will see what happens. Uh, the, the event itself is on Tuesday, July 6th. And, uh, again, no idea what to expect, but I'm in, I'll watch it. And it will be, I, I, I can't imagine that's a terrible time getting to watch that. Uh, news story item number four, Adam Vinatieri has retired. He ends his career 
as the NFL's all-time leading scorer. He was a kicker. He kicked for the Patriots and the Colts. He won four Super Bowls, three with New England, uh, one with the Colts. He played with Peyton Manning, played with Tom Brady. I guess he also played with Andrew Luck. Um, and, you know, without Adam Vinatieri, Tom Brady would not have won his first three Super Bowls. So Adam Vinatieri has a major part, not only in NFL history, but in Tom Brady's history. And uh, I don't know. I made it sound like one was bigger than the other. I don't, I don't know. He kicked for 24 years in the NFL. He's easily the greatest kicker ever, if you ask me. He hit so many big-time game-winning kicks. I mean, it's just he's a legend forever in the NFL and in the kicking world. Adam Vinatieri was the model of consistency. And uh, his career is just worth celebrating. I'm like, I, I think Adam Vinatieri is incredible. He's a Hall of Famer. Like, without a shadow of a doubt, easily he's going to get in. And again, I think that I'm not going to be the person to have a, a breakdown of this kicker versus that kicker, the greatest kicker of all time debate. I don't care very much. I'd rather talk about quarterbacks. But uh, to me, he's the greatest kicker ever. And if you don't agree, totally fine. Uh, you, you can come up with your own reasoning for or against. Uh, number five, Raiders defensive end Solomon Thomas has uh, launched a foundation called the defensive line. It's interesting. He's a defensive lineman, and it makes sense why he called it this. It's a defensive line foundation. They're dedicated to ending the epidemic of youth suicide, uh, young people who uh, end their lives. And I, this is an uncomfortable topic. Uh, YouTube does not like when I talk about it. They demonetize everything. I don't really care. It means a lot to me. Uh, Solomon Thomas's sister took her own life a while back, a couple of years ago. And uh, five years ago, my little brother, Zane, took his own life. So I, I, I don't – it's a big deal, and I think it needs to be talked about. And I thought what Solomon Thomas did is really, really cool. I, I think it's only the beginning for him. He'll finish his career at some point and really, I think, dive even deeper into suicide prevention. Um, and, I, man, I – when someone commits suicide, I think it really, really can derail – I mean, I know firsthand it absolutely can derail your life. And, uh, you know, Solomon Thomas is a former number three overall pick. And I've seen some people say that, you know, his career is a disappointment or he didn't live up to the hype or stuff like that. I think those people just have no idea what he went through. The fact he's still playing in the NFL and found a way to keep his career going to any degree is really, really impressive. And uh, I just I think what I, I can't encourage people enough after hearing that look up the foundation, the defensive line. I can't encourage people enough. Suicide is not the answer. Um, and if you're struggling, please go get professional help. Like, go get help. Go get professional help from a counselor. Uh, do not suffer in silence. My brother, I had, I had no idea. My bro I played Halo with my brother once a week. I saw him all the time. We worked together. Had no idea he was struggling. So I can't encourage you enough. If you're having a hard time, if you're struggling, please go get help. Uh, uh, number six, we'll end with something kind of fun. I saw this the other day. Uh, my friend Tim looks just like Miami Heat forward Duncan Robinson. I was, I'm going to put up both pictures on screen. Blew my mind. Look at the side-by-side. -side. Uh, so my buddy Tim was actually my RA uh, in the dorms in college. And uh, he said I could post this. He just wanted me to shout out his nonprofit, Kicks for Cause. Uh, Kicks for Causes, excuse me. He works for them. Uh, they raise money for charity. 
uh, with you know, using shoes, and I think it's very cool. So I just thought after the, the the heavier topic, let's let's talk about something kind of fun and shout out the fact that uh, my friend Tim looks shockingly like Duncan Robinson. He put it on his Instagram story. I'm like, okay, I want to put this out to the world. I want to get more people's opinion because you do look exactly like Duncan Robinson. That's it for the news, guys. Uh, I, I thought it'd be fun to throw in a fun oh, Whatever. I can do what I want. It's my show. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to do two lists. Uh, college quarterbacks with NFL potential and NFL quarterbacks with a second chance. And then later, we'll talk about Carson Wentz. We'll do Ask Zach. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right. We are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. I, uh, I want to talk about something real quick before we get into the topics uh, that I, I find I find it funny. You guys can let me know if you agree or not. I I don't know. Now, I do got to say there's I want to give a warning because I guess it could be technically considered um, like uh, what's the word like off color maybe is the word. So if you're very, very sensitive, prepare yourself. You're probably not if you listen to my show. Uh, but I, I had to pee the entire last segment like very, very badly. And I take a break, I walk away, go to the bathroom, do my business, and I, I go to AIM, as one does when you pee standing up. And inexplicably, I, I know I, everyone listening to some, many people, if you're, not, if you're a human male, probably can relate to this shared experience. Inexplicably, I go to, to pee, and it just, you know, I, I, in the middle of the toilet, I AIM, both sides of the, the pee just splits in half. Shoots on both sides of the toilet, but not in the toilet directly in the middle. I'm like, I don't understand how that happens. I don't know why every once in a while your stream just splits in half and doesn't go anywhere where you're aiming. I have no idea. Just happened to me. I had to clean up my bathroom floor. Very frustrating. I just, I, you know, kind of like if you look at, if you're watching on YouTube, my, my, uh, my headphone cord splits in two, just completely goes in opposite directions. That's what happened uh, downstairs a couple minutes ago. Downstairs meeting, you know, you can figure it out. I just, I, I can't be the only one alone who finds that incredibly irritating. Like, I don't know why that happens. I don't know. If anyone sci- knows the science behind it, please let me know. But it really bothered me. Really, I, did, I, I spent the last two minutes scrubbing the floor when I don't want to do that. Anyway, let's jump in. Uh, college football. Sorry. If you hate, if you're like, that's gross. I don't want to hear that. I think it's funny. I think it's happened to many more people than we admit, and it's never talked about, so... I guess I'm trying to be a stand-up comedian. I don't know. Uh, let's move on. I am tired. I'm about to hike a mountain. I'm a little bit scared. I get all those excuses out of the way. My favorite thing in college football is watching young quarterbacks with NFL potential. And you know, when we get to see the future of the NFL playing on Saturdays and go like, hmm, I think that guy's going to be special. I think that guy's going to be special. That dude's awesome. And uh, there are nine quarterbacks that I am really, really looking forward to watching next year in college football. Although I will admit, I have this nagging feeling that there's somebody, a guy or two, that I just am totally overlooking. Like, So please, I am actually asking, feel free to write in, let me know, is there a guy I'm completely missing or is not on my list that should be? Uh, and maybe I'll make a follow-up list. I think that'd be kind of fun. To, I, I, I'm a list person. I love listing all kinds of stuff. And if you can let me know, like, hey, you forgot this guy or that guy or this person at University of Northwestern, Alcorn, Albuquerque State, let me know because I 
there's, there's a lot of college football teams. There's nine I have on my radar, a couple more honorable mentions, but here, here are the nine guys I cannot wait to watch next year in college football. Number one is Spencer Rattler, the quarterback at Oklahoma. Uh, COVID, by the way, extended eligibility in college football. It's all funky now. Uh, eligibility is confusing. I'm not going to reference eligibility again in this topic after this one moment, but I want to say that last year, as a redshirt freshman, Spencer Rattler uh, was the starting quarterback his first year as the starting quarterback at Oklahoma. He lit it up, and uh, Spencer Rattler has... I'm not even going to say probably. I would say he definitely does have the best arm in college football. Like, his ability to throw the football is unbelievable. Like, ridiculous, ridiculous, clear, obvious NFL arm talent. Now, there are some maturity concerns. He got in trouble in high school, got suspended. Uh, He also got benched against Texas. I think that was a, a learning moment for him where, you know, Mordecai came in the backup quarterback, and I thought it was a moment where... Spencer Rattler was forced to grow and learn something in that moment. I thought it was good for him, and I thought that Lincoln Riley handled it very, very well. But Spencer Rattler has just a ton of NFL potential. Like, he could be a future number one overall pick. And so I cannot wait to watch Spencer Rattler next year in college football. Uh, I want to see him grow a lot. He's the guy who could enter the 2022 NFL Draft, the next upcoming NFL Draft. Uh, But he might be right. I guess like he, he could be ready by then. It's very possible that, you know, he's got a great year. He grows and NFL scouts are just drooling and like, come out. You're the number one overall pick. Uh, but my hope is that Spencer Rattler is not in any kind of hurry to leave college football and go to the NFL. Because uh, I don't want him to leave the NFL, leave college football, leave Oklahoma until he becomes a little bit more of a complete player. Now, maybe next year he does that. He grows and becomes the player I think he can become. Uh, but what I don't want to see is him leave too early before he's ready because his, his talent level, his ability, his potential is all there. I want to see it get fully realized. Uh, but either way, I cannot wait to watch Spencer Rattler next year in college football. Uh, my number two quarterback that I'm excited to watch this year in college football, USC quarterback Keaton Slovis. Oh my goodness, I love this dude. Uh, I'm a massive fan of him, like who he is as a person, but also his playing style, the way he plays the game. Uh, I actually had him on the show. Uh, me and Keaton had an hour-long conversation. Go listen to Strong Opinion Sports episode 356 for that entire conversation. It's awesome. Uh, but Keaton is an incredible decision maker. He's a guy who he's got a great arm. He's super accurate. But his best ability is his decision making and his discipline. He plays like a 15-year NFL vet. When you watch Keaton Slovis make decisions, you go, wow. And there's moments where he doesn't fall for the bait. He'll take five yards every single time. I think, in fact, I had a line talking to him. I said, sometimes one of the best throws you make are the ones where you don't pull the trigger on, where you, you know, nothing's open. And you just check it down because you're patient and you don't mind doing that. It's really, he processes very quickly, finds his check down. It's awesome stuff. Uh, he was coached by... Uh, NFL Hall of Fame quarterback Kurt Warner when he was in high school, and it really does show. And it really can't be said enough that Keaton Slovis dominates everything he can control. I mean, there's an NFL future there for sure. He also can move around within and outside of the pocket very, very well. He extends plays. He keeps plays alive. Um, J.G. Daniels used to be the USC starting quarterback, and when he got hurt two years ago, Keaton Slovis came in as a freshman like an 18-year-old kid and was so good 
that JT Daniels had to transfer away and go to Georgia because Keaton Slovis took over that job and was so impressive. Uh, I am very, very confident in Keaton Slovis. And, you know, his two best traits are his accuracy and his decision making. And in case you're not aware, uh, those two traits, decision making, accuracy, they're just a little bit important for playing the quarterback position. Keaton Slovis does stuff incredibly well, uh, and I cannot wait to watch USC this fall because of him. He is the program. I love him. I can't wait to watch him. And I, I'm, I'm just so excited to watch Keaton Slovis this fall. Number three, Sam Howell out of North Carolina, uh, UNC. He's got a huge arm. Uh, his build and his mechanics kind of remind me of uh, Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield. Dude throws the ball all over the field very, very well. Uh, when you watch him, you see a ton of NFL throws. Like, he makes high-level vertical throws downfield into tight windows. Uh, he's been the starter at UNC for two years. He's entering year number three. And, uh, I mean, Sam Howell is in the conversation along with Keaton Slovis and Spencer Rattler, probably Malik Willis as well, uh, to be the number one overall pick in next year's NFL draft. He can move and extend plays. Uh, he's good outside of structure. When the play breaks down, he's got to run around. He does really good stuff and gets a lot of big gains. Uh, and I do got to say, this is important because I want to defend his honor. I hear this all the time. People say, well, Mitchell Trubisky played at North Carolina. Uh, so Sam Howell, who is also at UNC, is going to fail too. And that's just dumb. I hate that. Number one. They're different players with different skill sets. And, uh, you know, plus Sam actually has Sam Howell is more experienced starting in college football already than Trubisky ever had at UNC. Uh, you know, the only thing they have in common is they both played at North Carolina. They had different coaching staffs. They played in different offensive systems. Uh, they might as well have played at different colleges, basically. That's how different Sam Howell and Mitchell Trubisky are. It doesn't do anybody justice and, uh, when you compare them, it's completely nonsensical. So don't compare Trubisky to Sam Howell. They're separate people with different lives and different stories and journeys, and it makes no sense to compare the two. Number four, you have Malik Willis, the quarterback out of Liberty. Uh, so Spencer Rattler has the best arm in college football, but overall Malik Willis is the most talented quarterback in college football. Dude has a cannon. He can run. Uh, I know he goes to a smaller school, Liberty. They're an FBS independent school. It's a non-Power 5 school. Uh, but there are a couple other guys who have played at non-Power 5 schools. Just a couple and done well. Uh, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, Josh Allen, who might be the NFL MVP this year coming up. Um, you know, Playing at a small school does not bother me at all because when you watch Malik Willis, you see a ton of NFL ability. Like, his ability jumps off the screen when you watch on film. And, uh, I mean, this dude makes ridiculous plays. Wild deep balls that are thrown perfectly in stride. He's got some long touchdown runs uh, that will blow you away. I mean, I have no doubt that NFL coaches watch film. And whether they have or, or will in the future, they're going to watch film with Malik Willis and talk to each other and go, imagine what we can do with that guy. With that skill set. It's it's crazy, and so he's going to be a guy who is probably a top-five pick. Uh, very easily could be similar to Trey Lance, a uh, small-school guy whose ability elevates him a lot. And I believe that not enough people are talking about Malik Willis. I don't really understand why he's not a massive topic of conversation, 
Uh, but regardless, I cannot wait to watch Malik Willis this fall. The number five quarterback I can't wait to watch this year, Desmond Ritter, the quarterback out of Cincinnati. Uh, he's another guy who can run, who can throw. He's got a great arm, uh, has some big runs downfield. And uh, Desmond Ritter is on this list because he's the kind of guy who could have a great year. And you know he's very talented, have a great year, and then could elevate himself a lot and move up draft boards and become a second or first round pick. Uh, he's staying in college for one last ride. I love it. I will be watching Cincinnati this fall to watch Desmond Ritter. Number six, DJ Uyunglele. Uh, he was Trevor Lawrence's backup last year at Clemson. The dude is massive, six foot four, two hundred and fifty pounds. I mean, that, that's an NFL frame if I've ever seen one. But he's also more than just a big body. He's got a great arm. Uh, he's a good decision maker. Was a huge recruit out of high school. Went to St. John Bosco. Uh, he's a few years away from the NFL, but he's already on radars of scouts. He's a guy with a lot of NFL potential, and uh, this will be his first year. This fall will be his first year starting full-time at the University of Clemson, and I cannot wait to watch DJ Uwe Unglele. And you know what? I'm, I'm not afraid of that name either. I've practiced it enough. I feel very confident saying it. If I'm wrong, let me know, but I've, I've said it enough times now. I've heard enough people tell me how to say it. I'm pretty sure... You say DJ Uwe Unglele. Uh, JT Daniels is at Georgia. He transferred to Georgia after losing the starting job to Keaton Slovis at USC. First of all, um, JT Daniels is going to have a ton of weapons around him at Georgia, like a just a ton of really, really good players. I think also, on top of having a good team around him, which is going to make him probably win a lot of games, uh, I think it could be the best quarterback at UGA since Matthew Stafford. Like, he's got a ton of talent, uh, a huge arm, throws a beautiful deep ball. Like, oh, my goodness. Uh, it's awesome to watch. He took over as a starter last year uh, for the final four games in 2020. He went 4-0. And I think part of why it took him so long to win the starting job is because he transferred in. There was a crazy offseason. It just takes time sometimes to learn an offense, to get comfortable uh, but when he settled in and got comfortable, he did very, very well. And uh, I think that his deep ball and his ability to throw the ball vertically is really, really going to elevate Georgia's offense next year. And uh, I am pumped to watch JT Daniels grow next year in 2021. Number eight, uh, Jaden Daniels, the quarterback at Arizona State. Uh, this dude is very underrated, in my opinion. Uh, he's got a, I thought last year there were moments where his receivers were just very inexperienced and it hurt him a little bit. He only played uh, four games last year due to COVID. By the way, Jaden Daniels can run as well. Jaden Daniels can move around a lot, does a lot of big stuff. Uh, he's entering his third year as the ASU starting quarterback. Uh, he had a monster freshman year two years ago. I think Jaden Daniels is the kind of guy that people just are not paying enough attention to. And I think some people who aren't paying close attention can be surprised when he does very well this fall. They're like, oh, and they'll feel like it came out of nowhere, but it's just not true. If you're paying attention, then you know that Jaden Daniels has a ton of NFL potential. Uh, number nine, the last guy, I, this is a stretch maybe, but I, I'm curious and excited. Uh, De'Aaron King is a quarterback from Miami. And uh, he tore his ACL last year. Uh, and then because of COVID and eligibility rules, he was able to come back for a sixth year uh, this upcoming year. 
And he, I will admit, he's more of a runner. He runs like a running back, um, but he's a great leader. He's electric. He makes big plays. He's fun to watch. Um, and I, I, I mean, he's the kind of guy that coaches really love working with. And so I, I think that what I want to watch from De'Aaron King this year at Miami is, does he become a guy who develops and grows his NFL draft stock? I mean, I think he's a guy who probably ends up being an NFL backup or kind of a gadget guy like Taysom Hill. But he, his skill set is so valuable. He can throw the ball very well, too. It's like, I just could see it going a lot of different ways. I want to watch him play. And I, I'm curious if he develops even further and takes his game uh, a step farther, gets even better. I guess I'm curious whether or not Derek King's already maxed out his potential. I mean, is there more to be gained from his skill set? Can he do better? Uh, he can always make better decisions. That's just a thing. Quarter, every quarterback can make better decisions forever, no matter how good you do. Uh, so I just, I got my eye on De'Aaron King. I'm not extremely optimistic that he's going to be a high-level NFL pick or anything like that. But I, I love his skill set. I think he's a great leader who works incredibly hard. And uh, I think he's a guy who, NFL coaches who, because of his ability to run, his ability to throw, his kind of ability to do a lot of different things, De'Aaron King is a guy that should be on NFL radars. Uh, now, I do have a couple honorable mentions. I want to mention uh, Matt Corral at Ole Miss. I want to mention uh, Carson Strong at Nevada. Uh, Bryce Young, the presumed starter at Alabama. Kenny Pickett at Pittsburgh. Uh, and then Graham Mertz at Wisconsin. I'll be keeping my eyes on those guys, too. Uh, I, you know, Guys like Matt Corral have to get a lot better to go from a good college quarterback to an NFL quarterback, in my opinion. But we'll see. I have an open mind. And uh, undoubtedly, like there are also guys who are going to show up that I've never heard of or not paid attention to in 2021. I mean, a guy like maybe TJ Finley, if he wins the job at Auburn or ever becomes their starting quarterback, TJ Finley's a guy who has NFL potential for sure, in my opinion. So I'm excited for the college quarterbacks that I don't see coming. Like there are nine I picked, plus one, two, three, four, five honorable mention quarterbacks. But there's also, I mean, there's so many college quarterbacks out there. I'm, I'm curious what guys that I either missed or are people I didn't mention or just simply are not on my radar that elevate their draft stock and become, you know, NFL potential quarterbacks. For example, a couple of years ago when I watched Joe Burrow play in his first year at LSU, I was like, that guy's not noteworthy. He's like a sixth round pick. And then the next year he was phenomenal and really elevated his draft stock, came out of nowhere, became the, became the number one overall pick. So is there anybody like that in college football in 2021? I'm curious. We'll find out. But those are the nine and a couple more guys that I'm really, really excited to watch play quarterback in college football this upcoming fall. Uh, let me drink some water real quick. Again, I think this water bottle is... Uh, I'm disappointed. It's too big. I, I love it. It's like that, this cool handle, and it's white, and it doesn't. it stands out of the background, and I... I wish it was better. It's just too big, though, isn't it? If I put it in front of me, it dominates the screen. It's bigger than my head. Like, literally. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Okay, it's time for another list. There are five young NFL quarterbacks that are entering really important moments in their NFL careers where uh, these are five guys who have not had perfect starts to their NFL careers at all, uh, but they do also have an opportunity this fall in 2021 to turn things around. And what's interesting is that the way they go about that is all very, very different. They all need to do different things in order to prove themselves and prove what they can do. So I got to say, before I start this list, I want to be very clear about one thing here. 
Uh, circumstance and situation can make or break a young quarterback. A bad coach or a bad team can ruin your career. And there are so many factors outside of a young quarterback's control that really, really impact how successful they are. Uh, you know, ideally, every quarterback has a team that drafts them and builds around them and gets players who complement their skill set and design plays to fit what they do best and have good coaching. And hopefully, you know, in ideally, every quarterback gets time to develop and figure stuff out and his patience and all kinds of stuff like that. But young quarterbacks often do not get that. And, uh, you know, it's also a bit weird. Many times young quarterbacks do not get a second opportunity. I mean, a high draft pick with a ton of talent who gets talked up a bunch for months and months and you hear analysts and teams talk about how much they love this guy. But after the initial shine kind of wears off, uh, you know, that, that new draft pick smell goes away. And hey, that's not a thing. I hope not. Is it cologne? Um, but you know what I mean? Like, you draft a guy, you're excited about him for a brief period, and once that goes away, a guy can end up being, you know, 26 or 27, and then they're viewed as a backup forever because they got their shot and it didn't work, even though the team was bad and the coach was awful, whatever. It's rare that guys get a second opportunity. And nobody's going to build around a... It's very interesting, you notice, like, players play till they're 40 now at the quarterback position regularly. But nobody's going to build around a 27-year-old quarterback. I mean, no one's going to build around Ryan Fitzpatrick either at 38, but that's, that's an extreme example. But not only do we not build around quarterbacks after their first attempt after being drafted, we often don't even try to help them succeed. It's very interesting. Like, you get one specialized opportunity with patience and a team that's going to be giving you a bunch of opportunities like Mitchell Trubisky did with Chicago. And that's it. After that one opportunity, you're done. And sometimes all it really takes for a quarterback to succeed is to have the team believe in them, get players that fit them, and a coaching staff that wants them and works with them. But often young quarterbacks don't even get that. And it's kind of silly. It's kind of a waste. Uh, but it's still also the truth. So with that being said, here is a list of young NFL QBs with something to prove in 2021. Number one is Sam Darnold. He is the definition of a guy who did not get supported as a young NFL quarterback. It's unbelievable. By the way, he was drafted incredibly young. He is only 23 years old. On June 5th, he will turn 24, which is the same age Baker Mayfield was when he got drafted number one overall in 2018. Now, the Jets drafted Sam Darnold number three overall in 2018. And, uh, oh my goodness, it was all downhill from there. Sam had horrible coaching. He had practically no help in New York. Uh, and as a result of what was around him, Sam Darnold really, really struggled as the Jets' starting quarterback. But then, uh, you know, a, a gift from God, he was traded from New York to the Carolina Panthers this offseason. And, and going from a horrible situation to, you know, he's really going from an awful, awful mess to maybe one of the best teams and organizations in all of the NFL. It's phenomenal. The Panthers have a good owner. He's got a good head coach, uh, Matt Rule. He's got this awesome offensive coordinator, Joe Brady, who helped develop you know, Joe Burrow in college at LSU from a nobody to the number one overall pick. So 
Sam Darnold is not only getting a second chance, he's going to a phenomenal organization that's going to support him. And, uh, you know, he's going to finally get a legitimate chance to prove how good he is as an NFL quarterback. And I'm rooting for him, man. I can't wait. He's going to have good players around him, good coaching, some structure, hopefully people that believe in him. And by the way, I want to say this because it's really important. Go watch Sam Darnold play. Don't just listen to what he is. Don't read his statistics or stuff like that. If you watch Sam Darnold play, oh my goodness, there are so many moments where, by the way, his ability to extend plays outside the pocket are phenomenal. I watched Sam Darnold play at USC. I was watching film of Sam Darnold at USC actually, gosh, a week ago maybe. He made some throws that take such incredible, I think creativity even, to go, huh, I'm on the run. If I step up, make this guy miss, and throw the ball up high and outside along the sideline, I can fit it over the defender in a tight window to my guy. Like, he has such a vision for throws into tight windows that I think are often inexplicable. He's just, he's, he's got a re- really, really good feel for the game. And I think Sam Darnold's ability to run around and make plays outside the pocket is crazy underrated. And I just, I really believe in Sam Darnold. I hope it works. Uh, but it's going to be cool to see what he does with a second chance in the NFL in Carolina. Quarterback number two is Tua Tungavaloa. He was drafted by the Miami Dolphins, number five overall in the 2020 NFL Draft. His rookie year last year was rough. Uh, Miami went back and forth between Tua and Ryan Fitzpatrick. They appeared to take Tua out in some big moments at the end of games. And uh, Tua has admitted even recently that, you know, he did not know the playbook as well as he would have liked. Uh, And honestly, I, I think I can forgive it, actually. Uh, He was a rookie dealing with a crazy offseason, and he also wasn't a rookie where, you know, for example, the Bengals had a a rookie quarterback, Joe Burrow. They knew what they were doing. They could go at whatever pace was best for Joe Burrow, where Tua stepped in, Ryan Fitzpatrick was already there. Tua had to catch up from day one, and Miami didn't slow down at all for Tua. Now, he's had this year a whole offseason to prepare this time and get comfortable, so I've heard that this year, uh, Tua is doing better than he did last year based on just having more time, more preparation, more comfort with the system. Uh, but last year watching Miami, I felt like they needed another big playmaker. They went out, they got that, they drafted a receiver, Jalen Waddell. Uh, but the pressure is on for Tua this year. Like Tua has to do better, has to deliver, has to show that he was worthy of that number five overall pick and that he can become the franchise quarterback they hope he will be. So Tua has to take a step forward this year. He has to prove himself. And if he doesn't, Tua is going to get replaced. That's just a fact. Uh, Now, I am biased. Uh, I love Tua as a person. I'm a big fan of him. I only own one NFL jersey. It is, in fact, a Tua Tungvaloa jersey. But I have confidence in the guy. I mean, again, crazy offseason. I think, you know, not a lot of weapons there. And remember, Peyton Manning had a really, really rough rookie year. So I've got nothing but patience, and uh, I think Tua, while he, yes, he has to get it done this year, I think there's a high probability Tua does very, very well this fall in 2021. Number three is the Broncos quarterback, Drew Locke. I've been really, really hard on Drew Locke. A report came out uh, that said he struggled with the playbook last year. My initial reaction when I heard that was, oh, no, this is not good. He's holding back the Denver offense. 
But as I've had time to think about it and digest, I've gone, okay, maybe I was a bit too harsh initially um, where Drew Locke had to learn a new offense. He had to deal with basically no offseason due to COVID. I mean, Zoom meetings, it depends on what kind of person you are. If your learning style is not conducive to Zoom, it's over for you. Like Zoom was all it was last year. And if you don't deal with that very well, you're screwed. It's hard to ask questions, hard to talk through stuff. Or if your coach even is just a bit, you know, difficult with technology, that can also be a huge gap in communication. And so I realized if I have patience for Tua this year after I'm talking about COVID and the offseason, I probably also need to have patience for Drew Locke, the Broncos young quarterback, because otherwise it's a really bad double standard. And I don't want to have that. I don't want to be that kind of guy. And so, you know, two years ago, Drew Locke had a really, really promising rookie year. Now, Denver does have a new quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater. Um, and, and also, who knows if Denver does end up trading for Aaron Rodgers? We have no idea. But 2021 is a big year for Drew Locke. Uh, whether he becomes the starting quarterback or is a backup, he's got to prove his worth. And uh, he doesn't either show that he's a franchise quarterback or that he could eventually become a franchise quarterback down the road. Then Denver's going to have to draft a new quarterback because there's a lot of really high-level upcoming college quarterbacks entering the NFL draft next year. And Drew has to deliver and show he's worth keeping around and worth investing in in Denver. Uh, Drew Locke's job is in danger. And if he's the guy, then he needs to show it this year in Denver. My number four quarterback is Dwayne Haskins. Uh, He was drafted by Washington in the first round of the 2019 NFL Draft, 15th overall Barely a year later, though, he got cut mid-season, by the way, which is almost unheard of for a first-round quarterback to be almost a year later, mid-season, get cut. He had problems off the field. He kept violating COVID protocol. He was also awful on the field. He looked lost. It's very possible he didn't know the new playbook very, very well. Uh, But a common theme, uh, I, I guess with all young quarterbacks, is that learning a new playbook last year during COVID was really, really hard over Zoom, stuff like that. Uh, but Dwayne also, aside from decision-making and that kind of stuff, on and off the field, I guess, he also really struggled with accuracy. He didn't look like a, a former first-round pick at all. He just looked like a mess in every way conceivable. However, the Pittsburgh Steelers have given Dwayne Haskins a second opportunity. He got a one-year deal. And the good news is Dwayne Haskins will not even be competing for the starting quarterback job this fall. Uh, Ben Roethlisberger is the Steelers' starting quarterback. He's been there since 2004. He's the longtime established quarterback in Denver. So this fall, what Dwayne Haskins needs to do is show the Steelers that he's worth keeping around, Uh, that, you know, there are some maturity concerns off the field. He's got to squash all those. He needs to have a good preseason and show that, hey, like, I've got potential. I'm worth keeping around. And I think... In 2021, the best scenario, kind of the best case scenario that could happen for Dwayne Haskins is that he shows, hey, I'm mature, I'm worth keeping around, he gets a new contract, and uh, he gives Pittsburgh hope that he could become the next franchise quarterback once Big Ben is done and moves on and is retired, you know, pretty likely and almost guaranteed after this year, Big Ben is going to retire. Now, it feels like a long shot. I'm not optimistic that Dwayne Haskins is going to figure it out. Again, maturity is a big deal, inaccuracy, all kinds of stuff. 
but it would be very, very cool if Dwayne Haskins, a former first round quarterback, you know, in the act of changing teams and getting a fresh start, if that made a big difference for Dwayne Haskins, I'd be very, very happy. My number five quarterback uh, who needs to have a big year in 2021 is Giants quarterback Daniel Jones. I'll put it this way. If Daniel Jones doesn't look really good this fall, the Giants need to replace him. I can forgive 2020. You had COVID. You had a new offense. You know, COVID made things crazy. Uh, Totally fine. Whatever. Last year, Saquon Barkley got hurt. Forget it. Whatever. But this year for Daniel Jones, it's year two in the same offensive system. Running back Saquon Barkley's back from injury. Uh, the Giants have a new offensive weapon, Kenny Galladay at receiver. They also still have Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton. They have the tight end, Evan Engram. It is time for Daniel Jones to deliver. He's got to play well this fall. Uh, I'm, there are no more reasons to make an excuse in New York. I just, nope. Uh, he's not a rookie. He had a full offseason. It's year three. The Giants have some decent players around him. There are going to be a number of really, really good quarterbacks available in the 2022 NFL draft. And if Daniel Jones does not have a good year this fall, he's going to get replaced. All right, guys, those are my my five quarterbacks, my five young NFL quarterbacks who I think have to have a good year in 2021. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll talk about Carson Wentz. We'll revisit the Carson Wentz 2016 trade. We'll talk about I uh, got a Formula One topic, and later we will do Ask Zach. My name is Zach Schaumler. Going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. I want to talk about Carson Wentz. I am really, really excited to watch quarterback Carson Wentz play in the NFL this fall. He's had a weird career. It's kind of been a roller coaster, uh, and all of the craziness has kind of led to this one moment this year where I think 21 could be a a year where Carson Wentz is a very, very special story. And so what I want to do is I want to go back to the very beginning and tell the story of Carson's career so far to this point and kind of how we've gotten to this moment and why this moment matters so much, what makes it so unique in the NFL. So first of all, Carson Wentz was drafted number two overall by the Philadelphia Eagles in the 2016 NFL Draft. Uh, Philly traded up from the number eight overall pick to the number two pick to go get Carson. They gave up a 2017 first round pick. They made a big move to go get him. Now, in 2016, Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator in Philly. Frank Reich and Carson Wentz first met in the NFL draft process. Uh, Philly wanted to draft him, and the two just clicked immediately. Frank Reich is a former NFL quarterback, and uh, you know the two just related to each other a lot. In fact, there's apparently a story that I saw recently where Frank Reich was quoting a Bible verse uh, in a pre-draft meeting with Carson, and Carson went, oh my gosh, really? And lo and behold, he held up his phone, and he already had that exact Bible verse as the background for his phone. It's like, wow, okay, they're all, they were on the same page to a crazy degree, Carson and Frank Reich. And so the Eagles drafted Carson Wentz. He became their starting quarterback. And one of the weirdest and kind of saddest parts of his career is in 2017 when Carson Wentz had, you know, his second year in the NFL, sophomore year, doing phenomenal. You know, everyone has that second year. Lamar had a second year MVP, a trophy. Uh, you know, uh, Patrick Mahomes won the NFL MVP in his second year. And man, in 2017, Carson Wentz 
was the NFL MVP frontrunner through the first 13 games of the NFL season. He was on a tear. But in that week 14 game against the LA Rams, he tore his ACL. And it's kind of actually, it's kind of wild. He tore his ACL on a first and goal play, dove for a touchdown, uh, got called back, you know. And what he decided to do, he got hurt, but he finished the drive. He stayed in the game. Uh, and, you know, they went for it on fourth and goal. Carson threw the go-ahead touchdown to take the lead over L.A. And then he left the game because he got hurt and he tore his ACL. And for me, I'm like, that's really impressive. It shows his toughness. He had to finish the drive. He knew it hurt. Deal with it later. I'm going to finish the drive. But Carson, after that, was out for the year. Tore his ACL, season over. And then without him, uh, his team went on. The Eagles went on to win a Super Bowl with their backup quarterback, Nick Foles. And you're like, oh, my gosh, that's wow. Uh, And things quickly changed a lot in Philadelphia where, for example, outside the stadium, uh, they built a statue of the backup quarterback, Nick Foles, outside their football stadium. It's a big deal. It's like, oh, okay, Uh, not a, a fun reminder if you're Carson Wentz. For everybody else, you're probably happy. But if you're the starting quarterback and your backup quarterback has a trophy and you don't, I don't care how much ego is not like I'm not this is not an egotistical thing of Carson, but it's kind of weird to have the backup get that kind of treatment and not you. And then after the Super Bowl, suddenly there was a quarterback controversy in Philadelphia, even though through the first 13 games, you know, 2017, Carson Wentz was the clear MVP favorite before getting hurt. And by the way, he had the second most touchdown passes in the NFL that year. And, you know, he lost only by one touchdown pass to Russell Wilson, even though Carson didn't even play the final three weeks of the year because he tore his ACL. Like that goes to show for perspective how much he was dominating in 2017, the NFL season. But still, uh, not only did Carson have an amazing year uh, and then, you know, get replaced by Nick Foles due to an injury and then have people wanting him to be replaced full time. People in Philly were calling for Carson to be the guy to leave Philly. Like, we want Nick Foles, not Carson Wentz. After Carson had a phenomenal year. But also, on top of all that, Carson's buddy, the Eagles offensive coordinator Frank Reich, left to go be the Indianapolis Colts head coach. So we lost his favorite coach. Probably going through a lot. You're hurt. You're recovering. And your backup quarterback's getting a ton of praise. And without Frank Reich, after that moment, Carson was not the same. In Philadelphia. In fact, later in 2020, last year, the Eagles roster fell apart. They were injured all over the place. They had problems. They had bad players. Uh, the offensive line was a mess. And Carson Wentz started playing hero ball. It's where you try to do too much. You make up for the lack of talent around you. And you try to just make big plays and force stuff that isn't there. Holding on to the ball too long. Fumbling against Dallas. There's a play that is ingrained in my mind forever. It's a terrible football play. Held onto the ball too long, fumbled, gave up the ball. It's, it's awful. And eventually, Carson was benched and replaced by rookie quarterback Jalen Hurts. Now, to be clear, I want to I be very honest about this. Carson Wentz was playing badly last year in 2020. Uh, he deserved to lose his starting job. He deserved to be benched. But in the long run, Philly decided, hey, we want Jalen Hurts to be our new franchise quarterback. And Carson was unwanted. In Philly, a bit weird for a guy, a former MVP frontrunner. Now, my favorite part of this whole story for Carson Wentz is that this offseason, 
the Colts head coach, Frank Reich, made a move and made a trade along with their GM, Chris Ballard, to go get Carson Wentz. They traded for Carson. And it came across like, you know what? Frank Reich went out and got his quarterback. He said, I want that guy. That's my dude. Let's go get him. And so I am really, really excited to watch Carson Wentz this fall playing for the Colts in that blue uniform. Uh, Last time he teamed up with Frank Reich, he was an NFL MVP favorite 13 games into the regular season. There's so much potential here. And I want to say, you know, the situation you play in really, really matters. Carson is insanely talented. Now he's on a great team with the perfect coach for him. And I just want to be, I want to point out that this kind of stuff doesn't happen very often. It's very rare that you get to work in an ideal situation with coworkers who compliment you and people who are, that believe in you and you work well with your boss. Usually what would happen in the NFL is you get an awesome coach uh, and you work really well together, but then he leaves and you never get to see him again. You never coach, you never work with him ever again. That coach, nice knowing you, you're gone. But not only is it a reunion, it's a reunion that Frank Reich sought out. He said, I want Carson. Go get him. And the way that things worked out is so wild because you got to realize that if Carson had a good year in 2020, the, Philadelphia would not have traded him. Like, if Carson didn't have a bad year in 2020, the Colts would not have been able to make a move and go get him. This, you know, this fun reuniting of Frank Reich and Carson Wentz had to have a lot of stuff go right in order for it to work. And the coolest thing here, it's another rare thing about this whole opportunity, is that Carson Wentz has a real opportunity to maximize his potential. Got a great team around him. He's got the best possible coach for him. I I really want to see Carson Wentz in the MVP conversation again. I would love to see him competing for a title. That would be so cool. And what's cool about Indy this year is that there's an opportunity for that to actually happen where it's just this Cinderella story where all the stuff came together, the coach who liked the player who worked well together, and the team that supports him. Like, I think Indianapolis is one of this inc- these incredible stories that doesn't happen very often where everything's falling into place exactly perfectly, and I think it could turn out phenomenally, and I'm very excited. I want to see Carson do very, very well in, Indi- in Indianapolis this fall in 2021. Let me drink some water real quick. So I was going through and researching the events uh, of Carson Wentz's career. And I was reminded that in 2016, the Eagles had to trade up to be able to draft Carson Wentz. I was like, huh, so what team had the number two overall pick and said, we don't want Carson Wentz. We don't want that starting quarterback. We don't want that quarterback. Uh, we're going to trade down. And the team who made that trade who didn't want Carson Wentz was the Cleveland Browns. And I thought, that's kind of weird. You know, at the time, in 2016, uh, during Carson's rookie year, the quarterbacks the Browns had were Terrell Pryor, Charlie Whitehurst, Cody Kessler, Kevin Hogan, RG3, and Josh McCown. Like, they could have used a franchise quarterback for sure, but they didn't want Carson Wentz. And at the time, in 2016, I mean, well, we can talk about hindsight now, but in 2016, I wonder how Cleveland Browns fans felt when they had, you know, 
Kevin Hogan taking snaps, and they could have drafted Carson Wentz. I wonder what the mindset was like back then. I want to be clear. This, you know, this topic is not intended to make fun of Cleveland. It's intended to point out how bizarre a number of things are, and yet the fact that it still worked out pretty well for Cleveland. So the Browns passed on Carson Wentz. They needed a quarterback, but they didn't want Carson. And then the next year, in the 2017 NFL Draft, uh, the Browns had the number one overall pick and the number 12 overall pick. They drafted Miles Garrett, a defensive end, number one overall. They could have drafted Patrick Mahomes, number one overall. They didn't. And, and then they traded the number 12 pick to Houston, and Houston drafted quarterback Deshaun Watson. So it's wild. A real statement you can actually say is that in a two-year span, the Browns passed on Carson Wentz, Patrick Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson. They said, we don't want any of those guys as our franchise quarterback, which is pretty, it's wild. It just seems like to me in 2016 and 2017, the Browns just did not want a franchise quarterback. They're like, nah, we're good, not interested. Now, in 2018, it all worked out. They drafted Baker Mayfield number one overall. And looking back, again, it worked out very well because Carson Wentz is coming off a really bad year in 2020. Deshaun Watson has legal trouble. Uh, Patrick Mahomes was not ready to play. Like, Patrick Mahomes could have gone number one overall to Cleveland, but he needed to sit for a while. And if Mahomes went to Cleveland and not Kansas City, I don't know that he'd be the massive star that he is today. He probably would have been a guy who had no help and failed and we'd talk about as a big bust. And so, again, I want to be clear. I'm not attacking the Browns at all. Again, it worked out very well for them. They just won a playoff game with Baker Mayfield. Like, they're elated, they're happy, it's all good. But it is funny to me that a real, actual sentence you can say that is true is the Browns passed on Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, and Carson Wentz, even though, at the time, they did not have a franchise quarterback. Unbelievable. It's crazy to me. Again, it worked out. It's, it's very good now. They have Baker Mayfield. They have a good team. But I, I have no doubt. I bet it was a bumpy ride along the way. Like, I wonder if you talk to a Browns fan back in 2016 or back in 2017 and said, how do you feel? You're watching Deshaun Watson do incredible. Deshaun Watson had a ridiculous rookie year before he tore his ACL. And you're like, hey, how do, how do you feel, Browns fans, knowing that you got Deshaun Kaiser in the second round of that draft class? You know, Deshaun Kaiser drafted, he started 15 games, and the reality is Deshaun Kaiser should have stayed in college at Notre Dame and kept developing. He wasn't ready. He was in way over his head. He was put in a position uh, to fail, really. Like, he was just in a bad spot where he was playing too early. And I guess I don't know that there's a real point to all this other than to say that, you know, it's a piece of Brown's history where in a two-year span, they just appeared to refuse to draft a franchise quarterback. It's so funny to me. They needed a guy, but they passed on Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, and Carson Wentz. Again, they're fine now. They got their guy. Uh, Baker Mayfield, they got a good team. It's all working out. But I just would love to time travel and say, hey, Browns fans, how did you feel really? In 2017 or 2016, maybe I'll go find some comments or something from that time period. But I just, to, to pass on those three guys when you need a quarterback does feel very, very counterintuitive. Although maybe, hey, uh, I think they would have all failed in Cleveland. So maybe the Browns were self-aware enough in a weird joke. You know, I'm kind of joking way. Like they're like, you know, we know we're so bad. We can't even, we can't have a franchise quarterback right now. Like let's fix our team, then add a quarterback to that mess. I don't know. Uh, but it's a fun thought. And so maybe the guys 
running Cleveland were not as dumb as we thought. Okay, uh, let's shift gears. We'll talk about Formula One real quick, then do a very, very healthy Ask Zach segment. Five races into the Formula One season, uh, Red Bull is the number one team in Formula One, and Max Verstappen is the number one driver in Formula One. Uh, Now, Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton are both in second, but the main reason is because of the most recent race in Monaco, the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, And by the way, I'm late. I think it's fine. I'm in the middle of moving. Uh, You know, it took me a week to cover Monaco, and honestly, like, again, I'm not going to apologize because I... I think that waiting a week to digest what happened and get more information actually, I think came out and, and you know some information came out from Total Wolf and stuff. I think it actually ended up helping me in the end make a better topic about Monaco than if I tried to rush it out like Monday last week when I was, gosh, on the phone with like a 50 million people. Uh, there's a couple things I want to cover, a couple main points I want to talk about with Monaco. Number one, it's a beautiful track. Uh, it's historic. It's really, really cool. Uh, some people hate it, and I get why they hate racing at Monaco. Uh, the track is super narrow. It's barely wider than one car, which means that it's impossible to overtake. Uh, and to me, though, that's fine because the result is that Monaco becomes a very, very technical track where qualifying matters a lot, and pit stops are extremely valuable and important. And uh, you have to corner without crashing. And I, I don't even care about passing and stuff when I watch a Monaco Grand Prix, it's that I don't even think I could drive at Monaco without crashing into the wall. It's literally like the margins are so small and you're going so fast and you have inches on either side as you go around corners. It's just like, for me, when I watch a a race at Monaco, I go, I just am amazed by the talent and the high level of driving more than I'm worried about, you know, who's going to pass who. It's It's a different kind of race and you have to accept that. Uh, I totally, again, I understand why people hate Monaco. Basically, there are no overtakes, but there are other reasons to appreciate it. Plus, it's historic. So I'd be sad if we as a fan base ever lost the Monaco Grand Prix. I think it's awesome. Uh, And so I I enjoy watching races at Monaco, even if they're a different type of race than you normally see in Formula One. Now, the TV production for the Monaco Grand Prix was literally really, really awful. Uh, I've worked on camera crews for ESPN, Fox Sports. Uh, I've done. I've operated a camera for Pac-12 Network. Uh, the crew at Monaco, oh my goodness, was terrible. Like, just awful. I've never seen a high-level... I've seen, like, college volleyball be bad, right? That's fine. Not the Monaco Grand Prix. From the start to finish, the director cut away from an overtake, which is, like, one of the most important, exciting moments of the race for a meaningless... Replay, that was awful. Uh, There were technical problems all throughout the race. I saw a cameraman drop a camera on the track. Like, what are you doing? Uh, And and Monaco uses a local production crew, uh, I believe from France, instead of Sky Sports. Uh, And as a result, the camera work, the directing, it all felt amateur and was really, really bad. It made the product worse. Watching Formula One, technical problems. Like the beginning of the race, you couldn't hear the, the broadcaster, like, at all. You hear the music of F1, and you see the graphics, but you can't hear what they're saying at all. And I just think, moving forward, that Monaco needs to allow Sky Sports to deal with the production of the Monaco Grand Prix. Stop being micromanager. Stop worrying about your local union or whatever. Uh, you need to let Sky Sports handle Monaco because the local crew is hurting the product on TV for people like me who are trying to watch and enjoy without being there. 
Um, now, so again, Sky Sports, they got to handle Monaco next year. We do need to talk about Charles Leclerc. Charles Leclerc qualified first for Ferrari, uh, was sitting on pole uh, for Monaco. But then with just 30 seconds left in qualifying, he crashed into the wall. And it ended qualifying early before Max or Lewis or anybody else could get in their, their final lap to try to challenge the score and the time that, um, you know, Charles Leclerc put up there. Now, the crash actually ended up keeping Charles Leclerc out of the race. His car uh, had a drive shaft problem and he could not start the race. So there was actually nobody sitting on poles. Very weird is Max Verstappen on second at the second starting spot. Bottas at third. Nobody at pole. It was just a weird, weird way to start a race. And. Max had to kind of get right in front of Bottas at the very beginning. Um, and this weird start from Charles Leclerc led to a debate moving forward where uh, I think, you know, Toto Wolf suggested a great solution saying that if you crash, your lap time needs to be deleted where, you know, because what could happen is that you set a precedent where you allow drivers to qualify first and then get in a crash to avoid their opponent responding to the time they put up. So I think that, again, if you crash, your lap time should be deleted. Uh, that would have happened. Uh, if that had happened, it would have kept Charles Leclerc from ever being on pole. Said, oh, you crashed, therefore your time is, is disqualified from qualifying. I don't, I don't know how you solve that, but somehow you shouldn't be able to qualify first and then end the session with a crash. It's kind of a loophole in Formula 1. I don't. Charles Leclerc did not crash intentionally. It did not appear that way. But it's a way that you can find a loophole to manipulate the rules in your favor, and I don't like that. So I think Formula One needs to find a way to change that rule slightly. Now, regardless, at Monaco, Max qualified second. Uh, Lewis Hamilton qualified seventh. In the end, Max Verstappen won the race, and uh, Lewis Hamilton got seventh. But also, he did get fastest lap, so he got more points than he would have uh, otherwise. He kind of stole a point from Red Bull at the end. Carlos Sainz got second. Lando Norris got third. Sergio Perez got fourth for Red Bull. And the result after Monaco was this. Red Bull is in first in Formula 1 with 149 points. Red Bull, the number one spot in the team standings, 149 points. Mercedes is in second with 148. Uh, McLaren and Ferrari stayed really tight as well. McLaren is in third with 80 points. Ferrari is in fourth with 78 points. It's fun. The battle for third is really interesting. The battle for first is really interesting. It's tight neck and neck in both of those spots. Uh, and the driver's standings, Max Verstappen has 105 points. Lewis Hamilton is in second with 101 points. Here's the kicker, though. I should mention this um, from Monaco, I guess. Valtteri Bottas, the driver for Mercedes, did not finish the race. Um, he had a horrible pit stop where the pit crew could not get the front right tire off. Uh, and, you know, Total Wolf, I'm glad I waited to cover this, actually, because Total Wolf came out, the Mercedes boss came out and said that Valtteri Bottas stopped too early in pit lane. So the mechanic had to apply the impact wrench at an angle to try to get the tie, the wheel off, the, you know, the nut. He damaged the wheel nut, uh, and as a result, they could not get the tire off the car and had to actually just retire the car. And so Toto went out of his way to mention Valtteri Bottas and kind of blame, say, hey, Valtteri has some blame here. And that felt like a sign of a kind of a rift to me where... Mercedes is starting to acknowledge Valtteri Bottas is our weakest link right now. We're in a fight for our lives. It's actually close. Like we're not just using sheer power and getting away from Red Bull. Like Red Bull is fighting and we need better from our second driver. 
when Mercedes loses, it becomes clear that they want more. It's obvious they want more from their number two driver, Valtteri Bottas. And I think it's very possible this is a sign of the future that, hey, maybe Mercedes gets tired of Valtteri and they could replace him maybe next year with somebody like, uh, you know, George Russell would be really interesting paired up with Lewis Hamilton. Uh, so Valtteri Bottas did not finish at Monaco. That gave him zero points. It kind of left the door open for Red Bull to take a lead in the season standings. Uh, Mercedes had a bad weekend, just period, in Monaco. The did not the DNF. Lewis was poor in qualifying. Uh, also during the race, Lewis Hamilton tried to undercut Pierre Gasly. He failed at that. Monaco was rough for Mercedes all around. Now, uh, here's what I love right now about Formula One. I'm very excited about this. I love it. It's that Red Bull has the lead five races in. I, I thought maybe Red Bull could by the end of the year. And I thought Monaco is going to happen. Then we'll figure out if Red, if Mercedes can really challenge, uh, if Red Bull can really challenge Mercedes. But now, after five races, watching Monaco, Mercedes has been really struggling. Valtteri Bottas had a hard race, and Mercedes looked, you know, vulnerable there. I just really believe that Red Bull has a shot to win a title. I don't actually care if Red Bull ends up winning the entire thing or not. But I love competition, and I love that I am convinced that Red Bull actually has a shot. False hope or not, it feels like they've got a, an opportunity to take down the titan known as Mercedes. And hope to me is so valuable, because I want to believe that I don't already know the outcome of Formula One. Anytime I see a, 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 a any kind of sporting event where I go... Oh, the winner is obvious. You see, like in, in, for example, college football, the University of Alabama plays a really bad football team like the Citadel, which you've never even heard of. And you go, well, it's a mismatch. They're not going to win. And usually in Formula One every year, it's been like, wow, I've been, I've been following for about three years, three years now, really, really avidly last year was my first year, like really, really dedicated following. And I always had the sense that Mercedes was going to win, and there was just no chance for anybody else. And this year, whether I'm foolish or not, I feel like, hey, maybe Red Bull could win this. And that makes me very, very happy. By the way, uh, I, I also want to say Nikita Mazepin did not crash at Monaco. So, hey, round of applause. I thought for sure he would. Uh, he finished the race. He also wasn't even in last place. Uh, his teammate, Mick Schumacher, actually came up in 18th. Mick, uh... Nikita Mazepin had finished in 17th. So, hey, uh, it surprised me. Well done by Nikita Mazepin. I want to end this uh, Formula One topic with a question from Patreon. You can write in on Patreon as well. It's a dollar a month. Uh, David writes in. David says, Max Verstappen won at Monaco and now has the lead over Lewis Hamilton in the driver standings. This year, Hamilton has seemed like the more consistent driver with Monaco being an outlier. How long do you think Verstappen will be able to hold on to the lead in the driver's standings? And is Verstappen still your favorite to be the best driver this year? Uh, David, I cannot bet against Lewis Hamilton. I, I feel like he's going to make some kind of adjustment and figure it out. Like, he's a titan in Formula 1. Now, maybe, I, I don't think Max can beat Lewis, but maybe Red Bull can beat Mercedes, if that makes sense. Like, you can lose the individual battle, but win the team battle, because really it's going to come down to... Valtteri Bottas versus Sergio Perez. I like Valtteri Bottas is not the most reliable driver in Formula One. He makes mistakes and leaves doors open all the time. So 
I, I think Sergio Perez could challenge Botas and could end up if Max gets second every race from here on out and um, Lewis gets first and then I, I will do the math there. If, if you can get Sergio Perez in third or fourth and Botas has a couple of screw ups, Red Bull could still win the team championship, even if Max doesn't win a championship for himself. Now, Max is my favorite driver in Formula 1 for the simple fact that he's challenging the Titan in Formula 1. He's challenging Lewis Hamilton. He's, he's beating him sometimes and making it difficult for Lewis Hamilton. I love that. But I want to be clear. You made it sound like it, he was my favorite to win. I never thought Max was the favorite or should be viewed as the guy to beat in Formula 1. No way. Lewis Hamilton is the favorite to win and should be every year in Formula 1. But I like Max and I root for Max. The same way I love uh, the Carolina Panthers in the NFL. I like—I just like what they're doing, and I think it's cool. And I, I want to see that story happen. I want to see Red Bull continue to challenge and push and make it tough for Mercedes F1. All right, guys, uh, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do Ask Zach. Got a lot of Ask Zach questions. I'm very excited about that. My name is Zach Schaumler. Going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. It is now time for my favorite part of the show, Ask Zach. It's where I answer questions from the audience. Uh, in case you don't know how it works, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. Please do. It literally helps pay my rent. Uh, but a dollar a month, that's $12 a year, literally. Uh, what it does is it allows you to access. Uh, it gives you access to send in questions on Patreon. If you submit a question, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs. I pick the top couple to read on the show. Number one, the first question of the day is from Landon. He says, Zach, how are you able to stay up so late when doing videos or film study? Love your vids. I uh, got a couple secrets here. Number one, drink black tea. Black tea has a ton of caffeine. Uh, there's no sugar crash like energy drinks. There's no acid like in coffee. You know, acid reflux is terrible. It's bad for your stomach, makes you poop. It's all terrible. Coffee's awful. Uh, so black tea, great. Uh, take cold showers. I take a cold shower before I sit down and work or record or whatever. It helps wake you up and kind of keep you lively. Uh, or like if I'm doing a really long stint where I'm awake for hours and hours and hours. Every like six to eight hours, I'll just take a cold shower. It helps you wake up and get going again. Uh, a lot of it, too, is just I love what I do, man. I, I, I feel like my job is really, really special. I recognize that I think, man, I, I love my job, and I, I would imagine there's a lot of people out there that would kill to do what I do. I, I love what I do, and I never want to take my job for granted. I never want to take uh, the audience for granted. Um, I, you know, I, I, I just I love it, and I, I work because I enjoy it and because I want to keep doing what I do forever because it's so fun. I don't want to lose it ever. Um, I, I will say I am slowing down a little bit. I'm doing fewer all-nighters, uh, and all-nighters actually do also affect me more than they used to. Um, but look, my two secrets, black tea is great, and cold showers keep you awake. Caleb writes in, Caleb says, is Sam Darnold really fixable? From a high level, he has a lot of talent and potential that was pretty obviously squandered in New York. That said, from watching the Jets film, I'm not sure if Darnold is without blame. He still has, from what I've seen, pretty, for, pretty poor footwork from an NFL QB and a lot of weird slash bad decisions and some accuracy problems. But again, 
could be attributed to the horrible team and coaching he had. On the flip side, he had a lot of moments where he made some something out of nothing and has natural playmaking ability that's hard to coach and manufacture. However, I can't think of many examples where a quarterback who was drafted and was mediocre, whether his fault or not, with their first team and then went somewhere else to be great. Maybe you could put Tannehill in that category of leaving Adam Gase and going somewhere else and being better. I don't really know. What do you think? So, Caleb, it's insane to me how little people talk about the situation a quarterback plays in. Sam Darnold has faults. Absolutely. But with the Jets, he had so little support. He had bad coaching. He had no help around him. I would argue Sam was never put in a position to do well. Never put in a position to succeed. There's not a quarterback in the world that wins football games without help. Even Tom Brady needs people around. Tom Brady, go look at two years ago in New England than last year in Tampa. He did way better because he had people around him helping him. And also, by the way, making him look better. Tom Brady threw three interceptions in the NFC Championship game against the Packers last year. <clears throat> if they lose that game, he looks terrible. Like, Tom, you had three costly turnovers, but instead they won because the team around him was good. Do you get my point? You need help as a quarterback to look good in the NFL. Nobody does it alone. Everybody says Aaron Rodgers needs more help. Like, if even Aaron Rodgers needs help, of course Sam Darnold needs good players around him. And by the way, you put Sam Darnold on the Green Bay Packers, he'd be way more successful than he was with the Jets, who were awful. And as you pointed out, there's a ton of obvious, like, high-level plays and clear talent with Sam Darnold. Sam, with better coaching and help, Sam Darnold's going to do very, very well in the NFL. I have no doubt about it. Davis writes in, he says, there are rumors circulating that the LA Chargers and the Chicago Bears might be available for sale soon. If you had the opportunity to buy one of those franchises, which one and why? Uh, I'd buy the Bears or the Chargers in a heartbeat, first of all. Uh, I wouldn't even blink. Like, that's that's a money printing machine. If I, I don't have billions of dollars, obviously, but I would if I could. Uh, I think the Bears, I'd rather buy the Bears. The Bears have a Huge fan base with a ton of passion and history and maybe a new stadium down the road, I saw. Uh, but even the Chargers, with Justin Herbert, there's a lot of potential there. But Chicago is a way better sports city than L.A. I would buy Chicago if I could over L.A. Plus, you have no competing team in your market. Like, L.A. has the Rams, USC, the Lakers. Like, Chicago has the Bulls and baseball. Baseball is kind of dying. It's more of a, you know, you go on game day, but the Bears are always going to be dominant in Chicago much more than any football team will be in L.A. So I, I would rather be in the Bears-Chicago market and I think the Bears, man, you can make a lot of money, build a good fan base, and probably win a lot of games with good leadership there in Chicago. <clears throat> Andy writes and says, Zach, they not Patreon here. Oh, what? Okay. Okay, okay, okay. Andy says, Zach, been on Patreon here for a couple of years now. I am from the Seattle area and now live in Spokane, Washington. Sad to hear you're leaving the Pacific Northwest, but I totally understand you're ready for a change and looking to start your next new adventure. I wish you best of luck and can't wait to hear your next update on the saga of Zach moving to a new spot. Can't wait to tell you either. Got a great deal uh, visiting it next week. Got an amazing, amazing deal on an apartment. I can't say, I literally, when I tell you, Patreon pays my rent. I'm dead serious. Thank you so much. It's because of you guys. 
So Andy says, my question is in regards to which NFL franchise you would want to play for most right now. If you could pick any franchise of the current state they are all at, which one would you want to play for and why? Is it because of terms of the GM, head coach, star players, fan base? I know you don't have a favorite team, but I, I know you love watching games in Cincy. But what team do you believe would give you the most satisfaction and happiness to play for? Thanks, Zach, for all the hard work and dedication. Uh, oh, he said just hard work. No dedication. Wow, Andy, what about the dedication? I'm kidding. I, I wrote that. I didn't mean to. Whatever. I inserted that by accident. Uh, please continue to do what you do and deliver great content and opinions. So, Andy, um, the Carolina Panthers easily are, I think, far and away the best organization in the NFL right now. They've got a great owner, David Tepper. They're well run. Uh, they value quality of life. They take care of their players really well. They got a lot of uh, scientific stuff and player performance stuff they care about. It's a great city. Charlotte is. Um, uh, you know, there's a good interview with the Panthers owner, David Tepper. He bought the team in 2018. In his second year uh, as the owner, in his second season, he fired the longtime head coach, Ron Rivera. But in firing Ron Rivera, he gave this amazing, honest, genuine, respectful interview where he kind of explained that Ron Rivera wasn't his guy. He was already there when David Tepper had gotten there, and he he wanted to, you know, kind of put his own mark on the football side of things. And also, you know, he wanted to talk to other coaches, and he felt like it was disrespectful to talk to other coaches while he still had Ron Rivera. So I think the best thing he felt, felt was to fire Ron Rivera, let Ron Rivera get a fresh start somewhere else. I, I, it's right. He handled it very well and maturely. Um, and, you know, the head coach, Matt Rule, is really, really great in Carolina. Between the owner, the coach, um, the city, the care and the value for quality of life, the Panthers are far and away my favorite organization in the NFL. I'd want to play for them in a heartbeat. Uh, Dylan writes in, says, what fantasy universe would you want to live in? This can be from a video game, movie, TV show, etc. Uh, Star Trek or Mass Effect, easily. I want to explore space. I want to see planets. I want to, uh, I want to do faster than light travel. I'm not sure it's possible for a human body to go faster than light. Even in a ship, I don't think we could, like, I think our bodies would literally melt and fall apart. Um, and maybe we need wormholes to go explore other planets where you literally bend space and time, which somehow seems less ridiculous to me than faster than light travel. I don't know. I'm an idiot. I love space. Uh, I mean, space is too big. Otherwise you can't get around space. It's literally too massive. Uh, but I've always wanted to explore space, be a captain. I wanted to be captain Kirk as a kid. And I figure, you know, the closest thing I could do is maybe when I retire, if I'm like 87 million years old and I retire and I'm done ever talking about sports, which probably never is going to happen, but maybe I'd buy a sailboat and explore uh, the world that way. I want to go to Palau and, Micronesia and Tonga and just like sail. And there's all these abandoned islands that are just in the middle of the Pacific ocean that no one lives at. I'd love to sail near one of those and just camp out for like a month, hang out on an abandoned Pacific Island with nobody there and just be, do my own thing and be happy out there. Uh, I want to explore the world that way. Um, I like the thought of being a captain and exploring and being out there alone and doing your own thing. Grass monkey writes and says, I've got a non-football question today. What are your top three favorite books you've read? Number one, easily, uh, this is my number one on the list for a reason. It's my favorite book series. It's Jack Reacher. They are mystery thriller books. He's a man who wins. He's six foot five. He beats people up. He solves murders. He gets stuff done. He's a hero. Like, he, I love it. I love. He's a superhero that is not framed as a superhero, where 
meaning like he's not no superpowers. He's just a guy who out. He's smarter than you. He hits harder than you. I love it. Um, there's like 25 books in the series. I'm on number four right now. Read the Jack Reacher novels. They're so good. I can't recommend them enough. Number two, Ranger's Apprentice is a young adult book series set in medieval times. Uh, kind of a nerdy outcast guy becomes a you know a, an archer with special training and skills where he can sneak around and infiltrate stuff. And I, I can't recommend the series enough. I'd actually, if I ever could, if I could be a showrunner, I would write the series and make it, you know, I'd make Ranger's Apprentice into a TV show and a heartbeat, maybe even an animated show like Avatar The Last Airbender. It's such a good series with good storytelling there available. It'd also be a great video game. Uh, Ranger's Apprentice is awesome. Number three, uh, Gregor the Overlander. Read it as a kid. Fun adventure. Uh, I'm not going to explain it. Look up Gregor the Overlander. Gregor the Overlander. Uh, It's a cool story. Look it up. uh, and Just read the book if you're, like, interested uh, when you read the synopsis of it. But again, uh, Jack Reacher is phenomenal. If you're an adult, you want to read a mystery thriller, punch the bad guy, solve the mystery book where the guy wins, and it wins really, really well, and it's satisfying, read Jack Reacher. Ranger's Apprentice is awesome, young adult, fun, like interesting. I mean, I, I and I read it like a year ago, so I'm not saying like I didn't read it when I was 11. I read it as an adult and loved it. And then Gregor the Overlander, I read it when I was a kid, and it, I, it stuck with me forever. It made me cry. I loved it. It was awesome. Gregor the Overlander is another good book series. The final question of the day is from AJ. It's a non-sports question, but it's very wor- much worth talking about. AJ writes in and says, hey, Zach. Long-time fan, first-time patron subscriber from the UK. Thank you so much. I just want to say thank you for continuing to make content and always being real and authentic. Not a sports question, but I'm going through a... Not a sports question, but I'm going through a rough breakup at the moment, and a lot has happened, which I'm really struggling with. Just wondering if you had any advice or life advice in general that would help. AJ, number one, it hurts really bad. Um... I'm not sure who broke up with who. I'm not sure if you broke up with her. Uh, And if you did break up with them, then remember that you did it for a reason. If she or he broke up with you, then honestly, you don't want to be with someone who doesn't want to be with you. So um, it's a blessing in disguise. Uh, You want to be with someone who's like grateful and delighted to be with you and loves being your partner and thinks you're awesome and, and likes it's a joy to them to be with you. And a breakup, man, I never lose sight of this. And not just breakups, but any kind of adversity in life is an opportunity to grow and learn and build up who you are. Now, I guess the phrase, um, there's plenty of fish in the sea. It's pretty cliche when people say, you know, there's plenty of fish out there in the sea for you. It sounds really dumb when you say it that way. It always sounds kind of dumb. But 1,000%, I do believe that you can find a match for you. And it doesn't – I don't think there's even one person for one person. I think, like, you can find someone who fits with you and – like, I'm an introvert. I'm, I'm an extreme introvert. I like alone time. I'm quiet. I'm silly kind of, but I just – I kind of want to be – I'm a homebody. I hate leaving my house. I'm a total homebody. And so I, I – there's a lot of people like that. Like, I can find a lot of people that I fit with. I happen to have – my fiance Liz is amazing, and if she broke up with me tomorrow, I'd be heartbroken. But I, I'd still find another person who would fit me because there's a lot of people out there who can fit you and your lifestyle and who you are. And, you know, there's no one person for anybody. Um, I recommend spending time with yourself. Learn to enjoy your own company. I think that's a big deal. 
uh, go do stuff that you felt like maybe you couldn't do while you were in the relationship. And then journal, man. Please buy a journal, buy a notebook, uh, start writing. Even if all you have to say at first is this stupid dude on the internet, Zach, told me I had to write and you're just writing your thoughts. And so here I am writing. But eventually, if you start writing, eventually good stuff will come out. Uh, journaling helps me work through and process my feelings. It's a huge tool I use to um, just work through stuff that I'm, I'm processing and trying to figure out in my head. Put it on paper. Plus, when you write it out, it helps you own it more. It's more real when you see it in front of you rather than it, when it's just in your head nebulously. I also recommend listening to the Desperately Dating podcast. Uh, I do it with my stepmom. I got COVID. I've been moving. My stepmom is in healthcare. Uh, she's a healthcare worker. She's been slammed. So we haven't done an episode in like a couple weeks. Uh, but there are 25 fantastic episodes of Desperately Dating out there already. Uh, and it's info that can really help you. It's not just a shameless plug. It, like Desperately Dating is phenomenal content. You should look up. 25 episodes. They're great. Uh, my stepmom is so, so full of wisdom. I love her so much, and she's great. I also got to say, I went through a horrible breakup in 2019. I, I've been there. I know what it's like. And I, I thought I would never, ever get through that breakup. It was miserable and terrible. And the reality is that breakup was the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, now I'm with uh, a wonderful partner that you know I, I grew as a person first. Then I found a new partner. I'm happily engaged now. Here's my engagement ring. I don't wear it on the show because it makes a big clicky sound. Um, but no matter what you're going through, man, whether it's a breakup or, um, you know, gosh, five years ago, my little brother died. Um, I've, I've, I've been there. I've been down in the dumps when you're struggling and you're having this low point. And I promise you, hey, you know, use it as an opportunity to learn and grow and you can get through that hard time. I also recommend buy a journal. Buy a journal. It hurts now, but work through your feelings. Buy a journal. It's so important. And uh, it's my long-winded way of giving my advice of how I would handle a breakup and how I would handle going through struggle. My name is Zach Schaumler. I love you. I appreciate you. I'm going to go climb a mountain, hopefully not die. I appreciate you. Have a great day, and I will see you in a couple days. But um, bum bam we are done.